Good morning, Sherman Street. So this morning I'm gonna start uh, my sermon by saying something that a pastor is probably not supposed to say. Sometimes I find it hard to be a Christian. I never have a problem with Jesus. Jesus always draws me in. And I think the gospel is the most beautiful story ever told. It helps me make sense of the world around me and it is incredibly good news for all of us that God should rescue us from the messes that we make, that God should stand on the side of the oppressed, that God should be so tenacious and so tender that this longing that we have for something more is a longing for something real. It's beautiful. But there are other things that can make calling myself a Christian more difficult. Sometimes it's the suffering of the world that gets to me, and whether it's the depth of evil that's possible, or the weight of grief, or my own struggles with depression, sometimes it's hard to see the light. It's hard to believe in hope. Sometimes it's some parts of the scriptures that are difficult for me to handle, and more often it's some of the ways that people have used the scriptures makes me wince. Um, the Bible has been used to support some of the worst evils in the world, um, and that's pretty tough to take. And what does that say about what the Bible is? And the most difficult thing um, for me is often just other Christians. Every time a pastor or religious leader perpetrates some evil, every time Christians appear more hateful and judgmental than loving, you know, I've read articles blaming Christians for everything from the wealth disparity to the degradation of the environment to white supremacy, and the tough thing is, they're not wrong. And I think we can blame it on bad theology, but still, you know, I just had a friend tell me that she thought that masks were the mark of the beast. But being part of the church can be really hard. I don't want to be identified with those Christians that protest at gay funerals or who shout hateful things at pride parades. I don't want to be identified with the money-grubbing TV preachers. And it's not just the big things. In every church community, there are people about whom you want to ask, like, shouldn't they be more loving? If, this, if they're really being shaped by this thing, shouldn't it show? And then when I look into my own heart, I have those same questions. Calling yourself a Christian can be difficult for lots of reasons. That's why I'm so grateful for our passage in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with God. And Jacob is just about to meet up with his twin brother Esau, whom he hasn't seen for 20 years. Um, Esau's last words towards Jacob are a death threat. He has and he has really good reason to be angry. Jacob swindled him out of his birthright and stole his blessing. In fact, Jacob has cheated, manipulated, and deceived almost every person in his life. He's not the most likable guy. So now Esau is approaching him with 400 men, and Jacob is scared. Happy homecomings usually don't involve armies. In his terror, Jacob has sent ahead of him gifts and his whole family and all of his possessions in multiple waves. Maybe he's trying to ease Esau's anger before they actually come face to face. And so this plan leaves him alone on the shores of the river Jabbok. And Jacob is almost never alone, but when he is, these are the times that God shows up. 
and God shows up this time. And the two wrestle all night. At dawn, they have this strange exchange. Locked in each other's grip, they ask each other's names, and then Jacob demands a blessing. When God asks Jacob his name, it's more than a request for information. It's a call to confession. Jacob was given his name because he grasped at Esau's heel when they were born. Jacob means heel, but it also means trickster, cheater, liar. And Jacob has been all of those things. His name is his confession. As evidence, the last time that he was asked his name by his blind father, Jacob answered, my name is Esau. By this time, Jacob, but this time Jacob speaks truly. I am Jacob, he says, the cheat. At his confession, Jacob receives an absolution and transformation. He receives a blessing in the form of a new name, Israel. Your, no, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Uh, there's some uncertainty about, among scholars as to whether the name Israel means let God rule or struggles with God. It's an inspired uncertainty, I think, because there is both struggle and submission here. God deigned to wrestle with Jacob all night in the cloak of darkness. The text says that this divine stranger couldn't overcome Jacob, but then ends the fight with just a touch to Jacob's hip. God does indeed rule, but also engages the struggle. And Jacob leaves the encounter with both a blessing and a limp. Your name will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with, and with humans and have overcome. Israel is named for the struggle, and the whole nation takes on this name. They are the people of the struggle, destined to carry Jacob's struggle to carry on Jacob's struggle, struggle at the river Jabbok, being so intimate with God that they might grip one another as they work out what it means to be the people of God in a broken world, what it means to be a blessing to the nations and bearers of the promise. We Christians are Israel's spiritual descendants, as one commentator put it, following the same enigmatic God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knowing ourselves to be children of the living God, we too are people of the struggle. And I find that to be such a relief, that the struggles that we face are not something other than our faith. They're not our faith gone wrong. They are the very guts of it. As much as the Bible doesn't make all of our answers easy, it never fails to name our reality and to allow it to be what it is. There is no pretending here. Are you grieving? Lament with the psalmists. Do you hate injustice? Stand on your soapbox with the prophets. Are you fighting with someone? Welcome to the church. Have a look at the epistles. Are you looking for God? God is the one who will get in the mess with you, who descends to you exactly where you need it, even if it isn't exactly what you want or expect. Debbie Thomas in her essay this week said, all of the epic battles of our lives 
Our battles with guilt, shame, fear, doubt, grief, and unforgiveness. Our wrestling matches with family, friends, enemies, community, church, or creed. They are ultimately battles with and about God. It is God. It is with God, in relationship to God, and in God's all-encompassing presence that we find the, that we fight the fights that bend, break, and remake us. I'm gonna read that last sentence again. It is with God, in relationship to God, and in God's all-encompassing presence that we fight the fights that bend, break, and remake us. We are the people of the struggle those who refuse to let go of the God who refuses to let go of us, those who demand a blessing and who will find it because our God is ever merciful. It was uh, Rachel Held Evans who first named this for me in her book, Inspired. She talks in that book about her own coming to grips with, the troubles of, with her troubles with scripture. She says that Part of our trouble with scripture is that we still kind of want to read it like a magical answer book. But it was meant to invite us into a struggle, into this struggle. It is a relational text, she says, that invites a community to come together to grapple with life and with God together. She says Jewish people have long interacted with scripture in this way. And she tells this story about her Jewish friend who had a dinner party with rabbis and scholars and friends the friend said, we were debating the application of Torah long into the night. Everyone brought a different point of view. No one could exactly agree. Shouts of hearty agreement and fierce dissent woke the baby twice. And we nearly ran out of food. For a group of Jews, it was a perfect evening. Protestant Christians tend to want to find the right answer and to convince everyone else of it. Um, but I have come to think that it is, in the it is the struggle that shapes us as much as the answers. My ministry has been shaped um, by a quote that I read some years ago. I think it was G.K. Chesterton, but I couldn't find it anywhere. The quote says, if you put small men in a room with big questions, they will come out as bigger men. I assume it applies to women as well. It's okay to wrestle with the scriptures. And that might be part of the point. Just don't give up on it. Refuse to let go until you find the blessing. That is my experience with preaching. You know, I often choose passages that give me trouble. It's a lot easier to say something interesting about them. Um, but it's also like looking for treasure buried in a field. But you have to trust that it is there in order to go looking. I only really trust that because I've done the looking enough times. If you struggle with the Bible or parts of it, I get it, but don't turn away. There is blessing there. For those of you whose struggle is with the church or with other Christians, there is blessing in that struggle too. And part of the difficulty is that God is more merciful than we are. So God invites people into the church that we would rather leave out. There are no perfect biblical characters, save Jesus, and there are no perfect churchgoers either. But even in our imperfections, we are able to bring glory to God. When we love well, we witness to God's everlasting love and to the transformation that comes with the Holy Spirit. And when we mess up and repent, we witness to God's abundant mercy 
And together, as we love well and fail to love well, as we confess and forgive and move forward together, we are the people who join the struggle toward the coming kingdom of God. And Tony often says, um, he often says that it's not conflict, that, that conflict, <laughs> whew, let's try that again. It's not that conflict gets in the way of ministry, but that conflict, the conflict is the ministry. And that's where we are most shaped, where we have the most opportunity to practice virtue and grow. And so, you know, we try to learn to do that well, and it matters that we learn to do it well, but if we don't, our Lord is ever gracious. And I think this kind of understanding of the church allows us to hold our positions a little bit more loosely, not giving them up, but to remember that we first of all belong to God and that this is God's church. We trust in a God who would pursue a scoundrel like Jacob and who would even stoop to fight with him to give him the mercy of a limp and a new name. If your struggle is um, grief or depression or lifeless prayers or the evil in the world, first of all, um, I'm so sorry for whatever you are going through. Uh, please don't hesitate to uh, talk with Tony or I or your elder. We would love to listen to you and pray for you. And maybe for some of you, this won't make sense until later, um, but I find it so comforting to see that Jacob did not recognize his assailant until after the fight was over. Now, I don't want to apply, imply that God is making bad things happen to you. Um, there are some signs in the text that say that this struggle with God was very closely linked to Jacob's struggle with Esau. Um, so it's not, anyway, it gets a little confusing, but I don't think it means like, I certainly don't think the text is saying every time we struggle, it's a struggle with God, um, directly at least. Um, sometimes God afflicts us, but sometimes we're just victims of a broken world. Um, but I do believe that God brings blessing even out of the darkest things, like fighting with your brother to the extent that he brings an army to meet you. But like Jacob, we don't often see that blessing or the nearness of God in the struggle until the thing is over. And I can say that about my own depression. Um, I can't remember if I've told this story before, so sorry if you've heard it, but in my first bout of depression, I didn't really know what to call it then. Um, I just knew that my prayers felt like they were bouncing off the ceiling um, and I was hopeless and my faith was hanging on by the thinnest of threads. Um, it went on for months, and I did keep praying every night. I'm kind of impressed with my younger self's tenacity. Uh, I've had both bouts of depression since that were not quite so faithful. But um, one day, there's nothing particularly special about that day, um, I went to church, and the praise songs just seemed especially true to me. That's kind of a weird thing to say, but I was struck by the truth in them. Um, Later that night, I went to a worship service with some friends and that same truth struck me. And this time I started laughing and could not stop. I kept turning to my friend, Steve, um, who's standing behind me and saying, it's just so true. And he kept looking at me like I was nuts. 
Um, I don't have a lot of experience with the more exuberant gifts of the spirit, but we were in a more charismatic church, so maybe that had something to do with it. Um, but I have, I have learned that what happened to me is called holy laughter. I laughed for a good hour. Steve did think I was nuts, but I couldn't stop. And my depression lifted that day. Why? I don't know. The next time my depression hit, there was no holy laughter. There was counseling and some important boundaries put in place. But when it began to ease, and I could turn and look back at it, I could see how I learned to feel my own feelings in it, and also how I would have suffered my whole life if I hadn't gone through it. And those kinds of experiences have taught me something about the struggle, that sometimes you just have to hang on a little longer and the blessing will become clear. It's taught me about waiting in the dark because the light always comes. My good friend uh, Hildy um, has had a much deeper grief than I have ever known. Um, when she was eight and a half months pregnant, she lost her baby. His name was Pippin. And her grief is still palpable, though Pippin would be seven this year. It's present whenever someone asks her how many children she has three living children, she'll say. And she grappled with God after Pippin's death. I remember her asking, how can there be enough life for this mosquito and not enough for my son? Years after he died, she sat in prayer and felt the spirit say to her, you did not get the blessing of Pippin's life but I will give you the blessing of Pippin's death. And she would say that she received that blessing, that there's something holy in her grief. She's been marked by a limp that will never heal, but somehow there's blessing in it. Somehow in the hands of God, even this grief gives life even as she longs for the day when she will see Pippin face to face. I have another friend who uh, feels like God never speaks to him. And I don't know why that would happen, but he's never had a sense of God's presence or nearness. He has tremendous anxiety and depression and no medication has ever worked. Counseling has not helped. He hasn't had a divine visitation like I have but he keeps going to church because he senses some peace there. I think in some sense, he's like Jacob in this story, refusing to let go and looking for a blessing, hanging on until he finds it. As far as I know, he's still waiting. Sometimes that's all you can do, but I believe he will find it. This passage is permission for the struggle, to bring your whole messy self, all of your pain and anger, questions and doubts before your God. We worship a God who will get into the mess with you if that's what you need. And the word wrestle in Hebrew means to get dusty. This is a God who will find you in whatever pit you are in, who is not frightened of your despair, 
your rage, or your doubts? And what kind of God would submit to wrestling with an anxious man on the side of a river for a whole night? That God has been locked in a wrestling match with all of humanity since Eve ate the apple. It's not just a night, but all of history. This God has submitted to the dust and the mess of our struggles over and over again. Is that not exactly what Christ did for us? Entered into our struggle wholly in the flesh, even allowing us to kill him, submitting to the worst kind of violence that we could come up with, all in the name of love. And even on that terrible day, blessing flowed. Your God will never leave you nor forsake you. Hang on. Whatever you are facing, whatever struggle finds you, the Lord will find you there too. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray for all of those who are right in the midst of a struggle. I pray that dawn would break and that like Jacob, they would see you face to face. Come to them, Lord Jesus. Come to all of us who are all making our way through this world, struggling through it, um, longing for something new, something whole, something unbroken. Lord, we thank you that you are making everything new. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus. Amen.